Welcome back. Day two for us here on Radio Row in Las Vegas. I'm Craig Hoffman. This is The Hoffman Show. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you see a face you probably recognize. David Chang, chef, TV star, entrepreneur, and DMV native with That's us right. to start That's the show. Right. Excited to be here. Um, so I was, uh, I was doing my homework, doing my Googling, and I was like, I know he's a DMV guy. I got I to gotta see. He's probably a, a Washington football fan. And the first thing that comes up is in 2013, mm. the Kickstarter that you wanted to start to raise $6 billion to, uh, right. to buy the team from Dan Snyder back in the day. You had the price right. You were very early on I, that. I, I knew it was six. I, <laughs> I literally spent a long time, days, trying to calculate what would it be for Snyder to sell the team. And I literally said $6 billion, and everyone laughed at me. But it, De- you're just a decade early. And I wanted to sell the team back to the fans of Washington, D.C. So, you know, didn't happen. Didn't happen, but. The, the, the witch is dead. And, uh, yeah. And so that's kind of what I wanted to start with is, like, now he's gone. Um, how has how your fandom been affected by that? And, like, are you back in? Are you, are you all in on the commanders as a fan again? This is going to be a hot take. But I think for, what, 20-plus years, I think I felt if you were a true fan of the team mm-hmm. and you really hated our previous owner, the best thing you could do was actively root against them and lower the value of the team. Don't buy any merch. Don't watch any games. So, you know, that was, that was going to be the only way we got rid of them, and everyone thought I was crazy. So, ironically enough, a team that's also been historically bad has <laughs> been the Raiders. So I would root for the Raiders because they were always, like, just – you know, they caught you. They tickled your fancy. Yeah, they're, they're they're like similar. Mad. Yeah, yeah. No, so all right. So you're you're out. Even no, even I'm back though, in. I'm uh, back okay. in. I'm back. It was always got to get rid of Snyder. Yeah. My concern was, he, you know, nepotism. He was going to give his kids. We we're never going to get rid of him. So I got to be honest. I'm, I don't know how to feel yet with Josh Harris, Magic Johnson. I know I'm excited, but part of me, aren't you a little bit like? I mean, I think everyone's nervous because you just assume that it's got to be better. Like, it can't be worse, but not worse doesn't in, like inherently mean better. I'm very impressed with Josh Harris. He seems like a very smart guy who's hired very smart people, and that's definitely a change. But We've already brought over the Sixers uh, game plan of trusting the process. Yes. We're really good at that. Yeah. Got to have a good process. I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I, I read still. I, I read religiously everything that happens in the D.C. sports world, particularly the football team. I will never call them the commanders or the previous. We need a new name. The, I, I think that's on the table, by the, the way. The, the team needs to go back to RFK. Yes. D.C. It has to happen. But um, there's some preconditions for me to truly get back on to, the bandwagon. To buy in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm actually very interested to talk to you. I feel like a lot of these hits are probably a bunch of wacky, goofy bits. But, like, you built so many restaurants, and the restaurant industry is brutal. And having good, strong organizational leadership is necessary for success. So I'm actually genuinely curious, like, in, in your restaurants at Momofuku and in all the different restaurants and, and brands that you've helped build across media and, and in the food uh, and restaurant industry, like, what are some of the common things that you know hey, the, the commanders are going to have to have these types of structural kind of stability points in order to succeed? Well, having been a terrible manager of people and, <laughs> and, and been corrected to, and still trying to get better, I think the, the thing that we need to do that did not happen in previous regimes is, you know, letting other people make decisions and not micromanaging. And letting, if we make a mistake... Let's not make the same mistake twice. 
and for years we would make the same mistake. How many years did we win the offseason Super Bowl? Oh, uh, endless offseason Super Bowls. I'm, I have so much uh, PTSD that I'm legitimately expecting the team to sign Jeff George as a backup quarterback. <laughs> I mean, it could, it could happen. He's got to be, you know, in his fifties at this point. Still but got like, a hell of an arm. yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly does. Uh, but I, I think that's interesting too because you know they just hired Dan Quinn as the head coach, and a lot of the fans are like, "Meh," and I'm like, "That's a new feeling for you." Yeah, that's a new feeling. I, I'm also meh. You know, uh, part of me is he's coming from the Cowboys, and I don't, I don't know how I can root for. A guy who was with Dallas? You can't. I, I, it's, it's I got to be honest, I was super hyped about Ben Johnson. Yeah. And now I hate his guts. <laughs> because how rude of him it's to not, not even take the damn interview. What a jerk. Yeah. I, it's weird because talking to NFL people about him, it's like he is one of these like incredibly hyper-focused guys. And it's like he lost and he realized, like, oh, right, I have the most important job interview of my life tomorrow. I don't want to do that. And you it's know, like that's, that's not great. Can I can I tell you my prediction of Ben Johnson? For sure. And Ben Johnson, you what if I was just like, this? no, David, well, you can't. I feel like because they look sort of similar. I think the career path for Ben Johnson is going to look eerily similar to Adam Gase. That is terrifying if you're Ben Johnson. Yeah. I mean that press conference. Well, listen, had, all that eyes? bad mojo. Those the, the the I'm just saying like by spurning the interview, we, maybe mm. we wouldn't have hired you. Maybe I think that's part of the problem. But the football gods are now with us. And they've just turned him into Adam Gase. Sucks for you, Ben Johnson. You're now Adam Gase. Uh, ESPN's Dan Graziano later in the show with more on that uh, as well. All right. Uh, you have the new show out uh, on Freeform with Chrissy Teigen. Uh, now, actually, it just came out. Um, if you could have any athletes sit down with you guys to be on the show, who would it be? Uh, still Shaquille O'Neal, but can I be honest, man? Uh, we were doing the Amazon Thursday Night Football. I got to be with Doug Williams and Daryl Green. That was the coolest at all Ebbets, that was the coolest thing top five coolest thing i've ever seen in my life what daryl green the, the best those guys both are tremendous storytellers Amazing. which is really what like the show i mean the show is about food the show's about community the show's about whatever chrissy says when she's drunk which is you know frequent i've actually had chrissy on the show twice back in college for me like wow. 10 years ago and we had her on the second time and we go do you remember the first and she goes no well she's sober now and uh, she was filming. She was, she she was very pregnant. More. Yeah. yeah. She's, she, she, we, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of good food. And, uh, yeah, we have that on Hulu. Uh, and we also have a show on Netflix called Dinner Time Live. What's that one about? Because you had Ugly Delicious Forever, which is so phenomenal. Sim any similarities there or different, different concept? <laughs> uh, totally different. I'm literally cooking Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live for guests. Okay. And uh, it's uh, – no one's helping me out. There's no commercial breaks. You're just you're just li you're like right like right now. We're yeah, just live it, to the it live exactly, and, it, and it's tough. But um, you know, I'm excited to be here. This is my first Super Bowl. I've never seen the media like this. And uh, besides the Super Bowl, there's also a huge event that's happening in the world, and that's Lunar New Year. Uh -huh. And Toyota's given us and me the opportunity to host a tailgate challenge that's happening in a couple hours, I think. Uh, <laughs> Someone will tell you. You'll yeah. be there. Uh, and, and I got to pit two of my friends, two of the best chefs. If you get a chance to go visit La Cita in Los Angeles, uh, Nico De Leon is making a chicken sandwich, and we have Brandon Jew of San Francisco, um, one of the best restaurants and two of the best chefs, and they're going to have this chicken off. Tail, tailgate chicken off? Yeah. Nice. You get to, to pick one dish to make for a Super Bowl party. What's your dish? 
I got to say, and this is, people don't love it when I say this, I'm a big fan of a, of a seven-layer dip. Really? Mm. That is not the direction I would have guessed. Mm-hmm. But I, I, You know why? It's not bad. You can make it early, and it's going to be good for like seven hours, too. Seven know? hours, seven layers? Problem is, you know, as much as fried ch- chicken wings are hard to do because they got to be hot. Nothing worth it. Yeah. Than- no, that's... So you, you, I doubt you're gonna have a host that's constantly cooking chicken wings throughout the hour. Right, you gotta and watch. And if they the game. do, you should, you know, put put a ring on that person, guy or girl. <laughs> David Chang with us on behalf of Toyota. David, appreciate you, sir. Um, we get back. Noah Eagle. He's calling the Super Bowl for Nickelodeon. He joins us next. Nicely done, Anthony. Uh, it's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. If you're watching us on YouTube at the Team 980, we're awkwardly spaced apart. No, I'm going to get closer to you. I, I, I prefer okay awkward you. spacing. That's what I'm okay, best I'm gonna at. Go, I'm, I'm going to go really back good as an then. awkward spacer. No. Uh, no, you do enough <laughs> television. You know how this works. We have yeah. to be awkwardly close. That is Noah Eagle, everybody. Uh, he is calling the Super Bowl for Nickelodeon. What a sentence. Yes. Yeah. I, honestly, everyone keeps asking me, well, uh, could you have ever imagined this? And No. Why could I have imagined that this was going to happen? <laughs> I don't understand. Did somebody 18 years ago think, you know what? One day. The Super Bowl is going to be on Nickelodeon. I did think that for a second, but then I also thought they had sweet victory already, and that felt like a Super Bowl-type environment, so maybe that was some foreshadowing. I don't know. All I know is I'm very excited. How different does a Nickelodeon like play-by-play preparation board look than a regular? Like If all of a sudden, if all of a sudden Nance gets sick and they're like, oh, crap. Uh, Noah, we need you to fill in with Romo. Like, are you like? I'm not prepared for yeah, this. I, I need slime. I might the might, I might be the one saying, "Ooh, I don't know, Jill." <laughs> I, don't know. I, I. It's very different. The board itself is at least the outline is there. Yeah. So I'll have the rosters, the depth chart, and the perfunctory stats. Yeah. But man, perfunctory. I'll, that's a good circus. Yeah. Word. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I like multi-syllable compound words. Multi-syllabic kiss. Yes. Oh wow, we're going extra here. We're going yeah. the extra mile. I, I would say I, I still have all that stuff, the bare bones, but I don't have the nitty gritty that I would normally have for a game, which is probably the most important meat on that bone. Yeah. Instead, I've got references of SpongeBob and Jellyfish and Dora the Explorer and all of the extra stuff, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, of course. so I'm ready to go for the broadcast. That's more important for this one. Yeah, that's nice. All right, uh, since you won't get uh, as much football in the actual game on Sunday, you want to talk a little ball, and then I do want to uh, lean into your NBA bona fides because the trade deadline, uh, I don't, the time change is murdering us out here. <laughs> we have no idea what time it is, when anything is happening, but apparently the deadline was 15 minutes ago. Is when, is when I the think trade it was deadline? an hour 15 or was an hour te- I don't know. Some. The trade deadline happened. There's yeah, no more done. trades. It's over. So we will lean into uh, some NBA stuff here in a second with Noah. But um, I, the the consensus seems to be everyone starting to lean into Kansas City with how they're playing as of late. Uh, and that Mahomes guy is he's uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, are you are you a part of this this majority that's leaning into Kansas City? I don't know. I, I think I saw it was Scott Van Pelt who made the point about this yesterday, and I think he's pretty correct. So when the line first came out for this game, it was two and a half in favor of Kansas City, which uh, in favor of uh, San Francisco, excuse me, which was shocking in many respects because Mahomes had been an underdog the last couple weeks, and we saw what happened. Mahomes as an underdog is incredibly scary. He's not an underdog. He's the best player certainly right now, maybe ever. Yeah, he might be the most talented quarterback we've ever seen with our two eyes. And so to put him as an underdog multiple weeks is already crazy. To do it for a Super Bowl, I think, is absolute lunacy. And I, I felt that way last year when I, I got to the Super Bowl and everyone's like, well, the Eagles are really good. I'm like, yeah, but Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the field. And Patrick right. Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. And 
that's hard to beat. It's really hard to bet against that guy. But when they came out and the Niners, it was two and a half, uh, minus two and a half San Francisco, everyone was pouncing on that. And they said, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. And what happens is I feel like Vegas always seems to know something, and Vegas is always tends to be right. They don't lose for a reason. Yeah, we're not sitting in air conditioning here in the middle of the desert because they're bad at this. Correct, correct. The, the, the house always wins in some capacity. So and I saw all of everybody flooding to bet Kansas City. I'm like, maybe San Francisco? Well, what's yeah, going to happen here? I, I'm, so tw- I'm so torn. And part of it is like it is pure selfishness because I picked San Francisco before the season. <laughs> and I like being right. You do. And so uh, I, I would love to be right, but I also – there's part of me that's like for the rightness, I might just hedge and be like, I don't know, I take Kansas City now. I, had yeah. I got it no matter what. But it really does – like we've talked about this a lot. So for the audience, I apologize for saying this for the 800th time. But like when you, you pick the Ravens or you pick the Bills in the last couple of weeks against Mahomes in the playoffs, the second it comes out of your mouth, you feel like the biggest idiot in the world. Right. And I think San Francisco's fantastic. But I also just, if you start to look at the matchup, the schematics of it, like Kansas City's running game, I think, can be effective against San Francisco. Like some of the, the weak points in San Francisco, to the extent that they exist, are things that I think Kansas City does very well. That's fair. I think this is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has had since becoming a starting quarterback for the Without Chiefs by, and it's not even close. And so you're giving a guy who's already been off the charts good something else, another weapon that's going to help aid him, that's going to take some of that onus off his back. That's a scary thought in itself. The, the one thing I will say in favor of San Francisco for this is they have been here now before. This isn't yeah. the first time for them. And we, we talked to Kyle Juszczyk before the game. We got very, uh, just a couple players, essentially, from both teams. We get two players per team for the Nickelodeon side. And we just did ask Kyle because we were more curious of, hey, what's different this time than the last time? And he said the last time he just didn't know how to handle the friends and family. He didn't know how to handle all the media stuff going. It, it changes your entire week. So now... If it's Juszczyk or if it's Debo Samuel or even guys like Kittle and some of the defensive guys that have been here, they know what to expect. They have a better idea of how to budget their time. And Brock Purdy is just so cool and calm and collected under pressure. I do love one of my favorite aspects of this quarterback matchup is because Brady just retired, obviously. And right. I mean, we've talked enough about Brady, but I'm going to bring him up again here. There's a reason he's the greatest of all time in terms of winning, in terms of raising the level of his teammates and everything else he brought. But he had so many different – he almost had three different careers in one. Right. First part of his career, he was this underdog, cast aside, late-round pick, six-round pick, 199th overall, wasn't supposed to start, thrust in because of injury, wins a Super Bowl. Sounds like what Brock Purdy's trying to do right now. Right. The second part of his career was, hey, you're the MVP of the league, your team is trying to become a dynasty. And the third part of his career was where he was just smarter than everybody. It feels like Patrick Mahomes is somewhere in between that second and third part of the Tom Brady arc right now. So it's but he's almost, only 28. Yes, correct. It's completely different. But it's almost these two that are coming together of what Brady did and what made Brady so special. And so I'm, I'm fascinated to see. Is it going to be the Brock Purdy underdog story? Is it going to be Mahomes trying to become the GOAT that wins out on Sunday? Noah Eagle calling the game for Nickelodeon. Yep, Noah Eagle calling the game for Nickelodeon on Sunday along with Nate Burleson. I know you guys will have a fantastic time. Uh, so when you look at... Kyle Shanahan, I think he's one of the more interesting guys in this game. Obviously, like he's one of the head coaches, but in terms of like the legacy type of discussions that tend to happen around this, his Super Bowl resume is he lost to Mahomes and company a couple years ago, and then we all know what happened uh, with new commander's coach, Dan Quinn. Sorry to bring it up. Uh, with the 28-3 game uh, with one of those those Brady phases that you talked about. Um, like 
do, if he goes 0 for 3 here, like, is that significant? Does it? Is it just like, hey, man, you ran into Mahomes? Like, what's the Kyle Shanahan narrative for you going into this game? Yeah, I think it's somewhat significant. He's still a young coach by yes. all counts and purposes here, right? He's still very much a lot in front of him. You know, he's got a, a long way to go in his coaching career. And, you know, I don't know how old his dad was when he won his first Super Bowl. Yeah, it had been a while. And he had some high-profile failures as big well. Big time, big time. So, look, if he loses, is he automatically like, all right, he can't get it done? I'm sure people will say it. It's not true. I've, in all the meetings I've had with coaches, Kyle Shanahan's been maybe the most impressive because he looks you in the eye. He's a football encyclopedia. He's going to tell you everything you ask. He's going to answer everything in detail. He's going to go through scouting reports. He's going to go through everything. And then he's just going to have some fun, talk about Jordans and talk about his love for shoes and talk about his family and everything else. I think his coaching tree speaks for itself already, and yeah. we're starting to see the success that a lot of those assistants are having. But the only reason I'll say that this is different is because he's got Brock Purdy now. And I think the one thing that you could have said about that Super Bowl a couple of years back Jimmy Garoppolo had a wide open, I think it was Emmanuel Sanders, right, streaking oh, down yeah. the middle of the field, yeah, he yeah. overthrew him. That, that's a completed pass. Game's probably over. Game's probably a San Francisco victory. And now we're talking about who knows if Mahomes gets back and wins one because that was his first victory. Changes the trajectory and the history of the game. So I think the Purdy is the difference, right, because the defense is still menacing. The running game is even better now with McCaffrey. The weapons arguably are better now because you've got Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and others. So the team, in theory, is better, and the quarterback play is better. So now it's like, all right, your team's better. Their team might even be worse. They don't have Tyreek Hill. They don't have some of the weapons that they had. Their defense is better. But in, in theory, their team isn't quite as complete, especially offensively and as explosive offensively as it was a couple of years ago. Kelsey's getting older. He's been sensational in the playoffs, but we've seen he's had some down weeks this year. We could go on and on. So this is an opportunity, and I feel like he knows this is an opportunity that he has to grasp. Yeah, no, I, I do think the having been there is a big thing for Kyle. And as you mentioned, for the team, there's just something about that of knowing, okay, this is what it's going to take. So we'll see on Sunday. Uh, obviously, the game is on CBS for the main broadcast. But if you'd like to watch uh, Noah call it on Nickelodeon, check that out. Uh, flip over for a little bit. Uh, you guys carry, like, the halftime show, too? Like, how does that work? Come on now. Oh, yeah. Not, so I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a couple things. Okay. One, our game is going to be coming to you live from Bikini Bottom. So okay. if you're a SpongeBob fan, that's a big deal. You know that. It's a big deal. Two, the game's going to start with none other than Sweet Victory. That's okay. going to start the broadcast, which is a huge deal. Now the energy is going to be off the charts. And, yes, we will have Usher as well. So it's okay. a, a total package. There you go. All right, so that's on Nickelodeon. All right, uh, Noah also uh, – NBA play-by-play, uh, called Clippers games for a bunch of years on the radio, uh, now working uh, on Yes Network for the Nets as well. So how surprised are you uh, as we just pop the NBA hats right on <laughs> yeah. that Kyle Kuzma and Tyus Jones are still Wizards and we are talking after the trade deadline? I'm a little surprised, but I'm not completely shocked at the Because you, know you know Winger from I know Michael LA. well, yeah. yeah. I know Michael well, and knowing Michael, he's meticulous and he doesn't get trigger-happy. He's not going to just make a deal for the sake of making a deal. He's going to make a deal with the idea of how it's going to impact the team in the future. And I think that he knows they've got some pieces starting with Bilal, and Bilal's going to have to be a building block for them, and he's going to improve. I think it's really hard now in the NBA. I think we've gotten, and really every sport, but especially in basketball, we've gotten to this point where let's just look at the trajectory of two different guys, right? Bilal Kolobali comes in as the youngest guy in the draft. He is raw. He was a late bloomer. He grew into his body a little bit, and you can see some of that raw ability, but he's young. 
Right. Now, in the current landscape of the NBA, we just saw this with Killian Hayes, which I'm, I think Killian Hayes is a different circumstance because he's kind of shown what he is already. There, there haven't been enough flashes. But even like Kobe White is a better example, right? Mm-hmm. Kobe White, top ten pick out of college. He was one and done, so he was really young coming in. And after year three, everyone's like, I don't know. Like, is Kobe White really going to be a guy who can impact the roster, can help winning or any of that? And this year he's having a breakout season, one of the most improved players in the league. He's 22 years old. Right. He's still so young versus a guy in Herb Jones who comes out, and or even Terrence Mann, better example. Terrence Mann was 22, 23 by the time the season started, his rookie season started. He was a second-round pick, and he barely played as a rookie. And most people, and I saw it, I was with the Clippers at the time, most people around, not in the organization, but around, right, fans and other media, and they're like, oh, well, Terrence Mann's never going to play for them. Well, then Terrence Mann the next year, Scored 39 points to send them to the Western Conference Finals. Right. So it's interesting because he's a guy who is older and developed quick into a year, but you don't look at those guys the same anymore. And I think Michael Winger, who was someone who was instrumental in bringing Terrence Mann in, who was someone that was instrumental in really finding some of those younger players like a Shea Gilgis Alexander, he was huge on SGA and wanted to do everything in his power to keep him on the Clippers, as did Lawrence Frank. But they were big-time talent evaluators. So... The reason I don't think I'm shocked is because I think he looked at it and said, I can't get enough for the future of this organization. Right. To put the future of this organization, I can get enough for right now, but that's not what this team needs right now. This team needs more moving forward. So he's going to hold on to his pieces and understand that leverage comes with time and leverage comes with circumstance, and that circumstance and time could change. I think the other factor here is leverage comes with a market that actually can give you what you want. Exactly. Um, and I don't think that people fully realize how many picks are locked up that get unlocked at the draft. Correct. Like Kyle Kuzma, like the number of teams that are able to offer a, a first-round pick or two first-round picks or, or some whatever Michael Winger's price is, is very small right now. Uh, draft comes around that next wave of picks gets unlocked some things get paid off in trades that are tying up picks like the market right now i'm I'm actually i'm not surprised that a lot of movement didn't i mean there's still obviously some big moves buddy healed probably the biggest one of the day going to philadelphia can he help keep them afloat uh while joel is out but i I am not surprised with how many uh, contenders have already made deals in the past that have draft capital tied up that we didn't see some more names move Yeah, today. and that's hard because you don't think of that stuff because maybe it happened two, three months ago or maybe the, the big contract is limiting something like that because now a team's saying, okay, if we trade for this guy, we're going to have to try to pay him at the end of the season. We're not going to have the money for it, and then we're just giving up these assets for nothing. So there are, there are circumstances that call for it. This was, to your point, one of the less volatile trade deadlines, I feel like, of the last couple of years. Not a ton of big names that were moved anyway. And so for the Wizards, the best thing that they can do is be patient because they don't – I understand that everyone's impatient. Everyone wants instant gratification. So everyone wants this organization to improve quickly and rapidly. The best way to do this, the best way to put yourself in a long-term position of success is to be patient and find your right moment. I know everybody hated the process in Philadelphia. I get that. I, I don't agree with everything that they did. But the one thing that it got out of that they got out of it was Joel Embiid, who won the MVP last year, who is one of the best players – in NBA history at his position. Yes. They got Ben Simmons, which eventually got them James Harden. They got Markel Fultz, which eventually landed them some other assets. And, look, he was a number one overall pick. They could have had Jason Tatum. All of that aside, you look at it and say it netted them legit assets to set them up for the long-term future. Right. So 
you've got to be patient here. Give it a couple years. Michael is a brilliant basketball mind. You've got to trust him. Yeah, no, for sure. That's Noah Eagle uh, taking off whatever hat uh, we just had him put on, his, his NBA hat. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then he will parade himself around Radio Row and continue to tell all of the other radio stations about the Super Bowl on Nickelodeon. Again, you can watch that this Sunday. Noah, good to see you, buddy. A pleasure as always. Thanks for uh, having me. One of your pals, by the way, is Noah is also the uh, play-by-play voice of Big Ten football on NBC, Mike Loxley, uh, stopping by. Lox, man. Uh, Jonathan Ogden before the end of the hour. What a show we have today for you here on the team. 980. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980, live from Radio Row in Las Vegas, Super Bowl 58. Coming up on Sunday here on the Team 980, I know we just said that we'd uh, have Mike Loxley on the show now. We actually taped that interview before the show, and uh, I'll just be transparent with with, uh, the audience. I didn't edit it together in time to, to send it to Anthony to play. So uh, what we're going to do instead, we will have Locks on the show today, uh, probably in the 5 o'clock hour, probably at 5.30. I'm going to go edit that so Anthony's ready to play it whenever we can right now. Uh, in the meantime, yesterday was able to catch up with good friend of the show, Brian Curtis, editor-at-large at The Ringer, covers sports media. And we talked about uh, a piece that he wrote about Tony Romo, who's calling the game on CBS this weekend, and the uh, growing hatred for that fact as as well as this new sports streaming bundle with ESPN, Fox, etc. So here is my chat with my good friend Brian Curtis yesterday on Radio Row. I actually wanted to ask you, so Brian, uh, if you haven't heard him on the show before, you haven't read his work, uh, you're, you're missing out. Uh, great, great writer for The Ringer, covers all things media. You wrote a great piece on Tony Romo that we're going to talk about in a second. But I remember, I think it was the first year that we actually met at one of these. Um, I'd had you on the show before. We finally got to meet in person, and kind of you were covering the zoo. You were like, <laughs> I am one of the animals covering the zoo. Um, this is my first one since Miami, uh, which was pre-pandemic. And the first thing you said to me is, this, this is nuts. Like, this feels pre-pandemic. I think, what do you make of the kind of the re-evolution of Radio Row and also the fact that everybody's doing this? Everyone's doing the video stuff now. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we've had this kind of marriage of sports radio, television, gambling. Yes. And I think all those things have made this not only bigger, but fancier, more technologically interesting, right? So that everybody's kind of on TV at the same time, and everybody's doing a podcast, and everybody's doing radio, and it's... It's cool, and it feels really lively here. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, like, from our side of it, um, is, like, it almost is different audiences. Like, there is a Venn diagram of people that will do what, ideally, if we're being transparent with the audience, what we would like, which is, you listen to me, because you're a DC person driving home in the car. When you get home, you flip me on YouTube, and maybe you can't watch on TV, so you go somewhere else, and you flip on the app, and, like, you catch a bunch of the show, or if you miss it, you get the podcast. But it really, like you said, it is all of these things simultaneously happening at once, and the lines between them all just, I don't even know if they're blurred or just not existent. <laughs> and I've seen so many bits here. Like, I'm trying to do a bit-free week, honestly. You are? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because Carrot Top is here. Mm-hmm. Because this is Vegas, and this is Carrot Top's town. Yes, of course. But you don't even need to be a prop comic, it turns out, in sports radio to do bits. Like, everybody's walking around with cameras. Everybody's like, look, look at me. I'm in a casino. This is crazy. Right. It's like, yeah, we get it. You're in Vegas. <laughs> I, I actually, like, there were some bits that I was thinking about doing. I was like, you want to know what? Everyone's going to be doing bits. A lot of bits. And, and I'm, if we stumble upon a good one, look, we're still a sports radio show at the end of the day. We're going to do it. <laughs> You're shameless enough. Yeah. There's the right I mean, bit. Let's be honest. We know the medium. Uh, but I'm not, I didn't, I'm not going into the week with any planned bits. So there's, for better or for worse, we're going to see how that goes. Um, <laughs> all right. So you wrote about Romo for The Ringer. Um, he is such a polarizing figure at, 
this point. Although I do feel like the, his his uh, approval rating is dropping dramatically from the universal love of him when he started. Like, what do what do you make of what is like? Has he changed or have we changed? I guess is where I'd start. So it's a great question. This is where I start with him, Craig. It's almost like he is one of those NFL quarterbacks who shows so much potential, so many traits, as we like to say, yeah. so many good things, but then also makes so many big mistakes. So the thing is not that he is elite, as we like to say about quarterbacks, or terrible. He is sort of both of those things at the same time, sometimes in the same broadcast. And that, to me, is the real puzzle of him because it's not like he's a bad announcer. He's a number one announcer. I firmly believe that. Even when I'm throwing things at the TV, he is a number one guy in the NFL. But I look at some stuff he does, and I'm just like, dude, you're seven years on television, and right. you're still doing these little things, which we can get into if you want to. Yeah. It, it's weird. What do you, well, let's go into it. What are, the, what are the little things? So my big complaint about Tony Romo is loves quarterbacks, loves wide receivers, loves a defensive back once in a while. He doesn't care about anybody else on the field. I mean, just doesn't care. If you watch, it was a play in the AFC Championship game where he was like, look at this, uh, Isaiah Pacheco sprung by a pulling guard. He didn't ever name the guard. He doesn't even say his name. Later he would say, you know, those Ravens tackles, they're the best in the game. Doesn't know who they are or doesn't say their name. And it's like this just lack of curiosity about everything in the NFL except quarterback play, scheme, eye in the sky, I'm going to draw you a picture with my telestrator. It's really, really weird, I find. That is very interesting. I had not necessarily noticed that. Uh, Brian Ringer from, or Brian Curtis from The Ringer. <laughs> Brian Ringer. Brian Ringer. I mean, friends some, call me. That, you've, you've been there a while, man. I have. You never it's know. At this point. I, what, I don't know what Simmons has done. Change my name. Like yeah, whatever, Simmons, whatever you want, man. <laughs> uh, no, it, Brian Curtis from The Ringer uh, with us here on The Hoffman Show on Radio Row. Um, I think where a lot of people go sideways with Romo is the just over-exuberance for everything. Oh, Jim! Yeah, and it's kind of just, hey, man, like, let it breathe. And I, I also wonder, especially as a contrast to Olsen, who's so authoritative. It almost feels like a kid who can't believe he's there versus Olsen who's like, I am here, I belong. How much do you think that maybe the, the comparison with Olsen or like the other alternatives of some of the top guys uh, maybe highlight that thing in Romo that a lot of people don't seem to like anymore? I think it's especially true with Olsen because Olsen will give you 90% of that Romo enthusiasm. Like Olsen feels like I am ready to call this game at Fox. I'm excited. Yeah, he loves to be there. This but is awesome. But moment by moment, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. I have command of the game. I'm not going to see a play that's so great that I just lose my mind and start screaming, right? I'm going to be like, here's what happened. Let's lock down. Let's do this. And then let's get excited. So, yeah, I think, I think we found like Romo 2.0 or the T-1000, if you want to go back to the Terminator movies. <laughs> we found the more technologically advanced Romo, and it is Greggles. Do you think that, like, is Romo long for this? Or is he going to have all these people ripping him apart and just be like, I don't need to do this. I've made so much money. So that's... A fascinating question. There's 17.5 million reasons a year that he is long for this game. But, you know, he was, I grew up a Cowboys fan. Yes. Or am still a Cowboys fan. I never got the sense that Tony Romo cared all that much about what people thought. You know, Which is a survival mechanism when you were him as the Cowboys quarterback. As the Cowboys quarterback. But even then, just like, you know, people would say, like, he's just not as locked into being a quarterback. So there's the, like, I don't care what the haters say part of it. But there's also the just, you know what? This isn't my life in the way that it's Peyton Manning's life when he was playing in the NFL or Tom Brady's life. I just, yeah. I just am kind of – I care about my job. I wouldn't say that about him. But I just don't get the sense that it like, hurts Tony Romo's soul if he gets bad reviews. And then I would say the same thing about Tony the quarterback. 
It's weird yeah. how they're similar characters. Yeah. You know, with Chris Collinsworth, it seems like if somebody were like, Chris didn't do his homework today, that would just kill Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. Like, he would just be like, I, 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 I did. I did my homework. Yeah. I trust me. I did it. With Tony, if you say that, I think he would be like, oh, no, I did it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, Okay, Tony. Um, by the way, total left turn, but you will enjoy this. I was watching a tennis tournament. It was the Cincinnati Open over the summer, and I had forgotten that Chris Collinsworth is like Mr. Cincinnati. <laughs> Every other commercial was like a Collinsworth bit. So if you ever want some fun Chris Collins, if you ever write a Collinsworth story. Is he doing like local Mexican restaurants? Well, it's, or what's it's more he doing? like, I think there was like this air conditioning company that was Cincinnati based. And so they were a big wow. sponsor of the tournament. And it was like him and Jack and like their daughter. And like, it was, it was like a whole family. It was like a whole Collinsworth family thing. You're getting as I'm story watching, ideas here. This is incredible. Yeah, as I'm watching uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic murder each other. <laughs> and, you know, and slow, uh, Coco Goff have her, have her summer of Coco. Anyway, that was on the tennis channel in uh, July. We're now on Radio Row in G- uh, February here in, uh, in Las Vegas. That's Brian Curtis from The Ringer. Um, the other big thing that I want to talk to you about real quick uh, uh, in kind of the, the sports media world, this new super streaming service thing from Fox and Warner Brothers and ESPN, what do we, what do we know so far? It's really interesting. So we know that the three companies you just mentioned, yes. and all the networks that are underneath there, so ESPN, right. ESPN2, and everything else, CC Network, you're going to be able to get them as one streaming package. We also know from CNBC that this is going to cost somewhere between $45 and $50 a month. So the question to me about this new super streamer thing is, who is this for? Right. I think a lot of us have YouTube TV, which yeah. is like 70 80 bucks a month. So Ubo, yeah. Right. So what we're going to do is... For $20 cheaper, you're going to get just the sports channels and then take off everything else from that package. It's like a a bundle, but it's not as big a bundle. Right. So this is one of these things about this age we live in. There's all these announcements, all these press releases, and I'm kind of like, are we just making press releases and we're trying to hope there's an audience for what we're selling here? And if it is, we'll follow through on it. Yeah. It is bizarre because I do think that many of us have come to the realization that killing cable was a terrible idea, that it just was easier to have a reliable thing that worked and within one system if you want to switch back and forth between games and if you're watching one on the ESPN app and one on uh, you know, Peacock, like you can't do that on your Apple TV quite as easily. Um, but I also... Like I, I think it's more interesting. I'm gonna play chess here. I'm here gonna, we I'm go. gonna, I'm to be We're not playing checkers ideas. anymore. Uh, like these companies have also all been in the mix with, for instance, the NFL to take over NFL Network or some of these leagues to like really cross the lines of media and sports. And I just think it's fascinating that even without that, they're willing to work together. It is, and I think that's a bunch of people that are groping for a solution, right? They're just like, what are we going to do? And, you know, ESPN is, I think, the biggest, just because they were the biggest bully on the block in the cable bundle. Right. Charging people 10 12 bucks a month, everybody, no matter whether you watched ESPN or not. Now they're like, oh, we lost like 30 million of those subscribers over the last couple of years. That's a real number. And we got to figure out how we're going to pay for this network. And, by the way, sports rights are going up. Right. We've got the NFL. We've got the Super Bowl. We're about to have the whole college football national championship playoff. There's just a lot of money there. And everybody's just like, we don't know how to pay for it, so here we go. Right. Here we go, as, as Tony Romo would say. Yeah. And let's figure it out. Yeah. No, it is, it is very bizarre. I will say one thing that I read. I don't know if you saw this as well. Is like if you're already a subscriber to one of those other streaming, streaming platforms. So I guess currently for Warner Brothers, it would be Max. 
a slash HBO Max, uh, whatever Fox is offering, and then ESPN Plus, you would get access to this bundle? I think you could add it on. You could bundle it with your more. other app. Now so I just feel like more, we're, we're a bad just, state We're just adding, and this is, again, like you said, cable was, I, I'm like you. I think, the, forget streaming, forget everything. I just like, I want something where I don't, where I can watch all the games. Yeah. Where I never have to be that guy on Twitter who's like, oh, where's the game? I can't get the game. I want to watch everything as a sports fan. This is a step toward that, but it's not everything. Well, I think it's also fascinating, too, and talk about being off, you know, off topic here uh, as we're on, on NFL Media Row, but like, I look at the NWSL's new media deal or the WNBA's, and, and I think the co- some of the, the Division One college football uh, conferences are doing this, too, where all of a sudden the rights are split. Yes. And it's like, I want to watch an SEC football game. Where is it? And I guess NFL fans have been dealing with that for years, but it's like, okay, we're Fox or CBS. We got it. But if you're, if you're team, and it's also once a week and, like, whatever, but I, I do think it's interesting, like, kind of the, the changing dynamics in that way, too, of – literally where is the game and will I guess what they're betting on is people will pay for this thing so that they know where the game is mm-hmm. and again it gets you partly there but it doesn't have CBS it doesn't have your prime games from Amazon I mean it's just a real like I said it get, we, we get part way down the road here but we still don't have something like the old cable bundle yeah, which is kind of what I think everybody wants, even if it's just for sports. Yeah, so uh, very interesting times in sports media. Brian Curtis, one of my favorite guys to chop it up with. Uh, you can read his work in the Romo piece at theringer.com. Brian, thank you, sir. Always, Craig. Be good on Radio Row. I'll do my best. The Jabberwockies just walked by. Do you see that? Oh, man, we are right. in Vegas. Showtime. Uh, be back in just a moment. All right, that was yesterday. Got the chance to catch up with uh, my pal Brian Curtis. Coming up next, Jonathan Ogden, NFL Hall of Famer, joins us on Radio Row. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Coming up at the top of the hour, Nora Princiati, good friend of mine, good friend of the show. Uh, She is a writer uh, and podcast host for The Ringer who has two specialties. She is someone who knows football and the NFL as well as anyone. She is also incredibly popular in the Taylor Swift universe because of the podcast she does with Nathan Hubbard called Every Single Album. So uh, we're going to have a a really fun conversation with Nora about kind of the intersection of Taylor Swift and the NFL, um, both directly but also kind of what makes each entity so popular in fandom. I, I think it'll be really fun to talk to Nora about all of that that all part of our big game coverage on the team 980 presented by solo stove feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit solostove.com uh in just a moment uh you see the if you're watching this is not a taylor swift pun but you see the blank space right here the chair where in a moment we will have seated a Super Bowl champion who is a nine-time All-Pro, an 11-time Pro Bowler, uh, also St. Albans alum. Uh, so, no, Danny Ruye is down the dial at, at 106.7 The Fan. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have our own St. Albans alum here uh, as Jonathan Ogden is going to make his way over. He's uh, wrapping up, actually, an interview with NBC4 right now within my eyesight. So we will... Uh, We'll have him in just a moment. Uh, be fun to talk to him about, uh, obviously, his playing days and, and what he's doing now with the NFL Alumni Association. Uh, so all of that coming up in just a bit. Later on in the show, though, Dan Graziano, ESPN, he did so much reporting around the coaching searches for the commanders and everybody else. So we'll kind of take it back, go behind the scenes there uh, coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, so we got that. Uh, we have... 
who am I? Oh, Randy Moss, uh, not the receiver, uh, the NBC reporter uh, who's I think uh, he's he's pretty fascinating because he's a guy that covers he, he worked for NFL Network so he's covered the NFL for a long time um, and he works for NBC but he's also big in the horse racing world which is a sport that has been built on gambling and so to see the gambling world intersect with the NFL uh, is why when his name came across I was like yes I would very much like to talk to you so uh, NBC reporter Randy Moss coming up at 6.30 tonight. Uh, but right now, we are going to welcome Jonathan Ogden to the show. Uh, he is coming over. Of course, the NFL Hall of Famer, former Ravens tackle, uh, joins us. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, back home for you, uh, D.C. guy here on the radio with us in Washington, D.C. I'm Craig Hoffman. Okay, uh, right. So not, good to meet you, man, and yeah, thanks for coming exactly. on the show. Absolutely, man. No problem. Huh? Another D.C. station. I love it. Yep. So you got, you got D.C. TV over there. Now you got D.C. radio. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's a homecoming for you. And I, I think the reason that you're here is so cool. Um, you're working with the NFL Alumni Association on a really important initiative. Before we talk a little ball, can you tell us about the initiative that you're working yeah, on? Yeah, tackle obesity. Um, what we're trying to do is trying to educate and trying to get the public and former players to understand that obesity is a problem in this country and that we can find we can do better. And what they want us to understand is that obesity isn't a character flaw. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a disease. It's something that, you know, our metabolisms are different. I'm going to be bigger than you no matter what. But we can all be better, and we can all utilize tools out there to eat a little better, do a little more exercise, just be a little smarter with our lifestyle. And that's what TackleObesity.com, if you go to their website, they'll give you the tools. They'll, you know, help with coaches or things, you know. So we, we want to be a healthier country. And the NFLPA is just trying to be proactive and trying to keep this country healthy. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, you don't know this, obviously, because we met about, oh, 45 seconds ago. <laughs> but I actually work as a, as a trainer as well okay. um, and, and work a lot in the health and, f and fitness space. And, and it's always fascinating to me. You talk about how it's seen as a character flaw. And right. it's like, no, there, it's, it's so multifactorial. Right, it is exactly. genetics. It is environment. It is diet. And, I, and I'm extra curious for, for you as a guy who is an athlete and, like, surrounded, especially in an O-line room, like, mm -hmm. For O-linemen, it tends to go one of two ways when y'all retire. Either it's like you lose the physical activity and it gets worse, or it's like you were eating so much at just stage, you're playing weight, the guys drop weight instantly. But what's it been like working with some of your fellow NFL alums specifically in their journeys? Well, like you said, it, there's, there's the gamut. There are some people like the Marshall Yandas of the world that just, who just will shrivel up to nothing, and God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> That's good for them. And there's other of us who continue to fight the battle of our life because, like, like we just said, it's not, it's not a, it's a flaw. It's, it's not a flaw. It's the it's, genetics. It's, it's genetics everything. of who we are. So I'm one of those type who I'm still the same size more or less when I play, but I'm also, I eat less. I try to eat more, less fried foods. I try to eat healthy, more salads, you know, more proper things. I do yoga three to four times a week. You know, so I'm always out there trying to stay physically fit and, and healthy. Because we only got one life to live, man, and that's a good TV show. But uh, <laughs> and, and we're, we're out here trying to just do the best we can, you know, and um, I want to enjoy my life. I mean, I, I try moderation, obviously, because we, we can't. It's a lifelong battle. It's not right. a one week or one month thing. It's something that we have to learn how to do for the rest of our lives. 
Yeah, there's so much psychology in it. Uh, we can talk about it for a long, long time, Absolutely. but uh, that's a it's a different show, different yeah. different podcast uh, in, in my life. Uh, but I do want to talk a little ball with you as a guy who uh, was an offensive lineman and as good as anyone who's ever done it in the NFL. That's why you got that. Was that Super Bowl ring or the Hall, Hall of Fame Hall ring Hall on? Fame okay, Hall I, I only caught a, a very large shine reflection uh, in my uh, eyes. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, that was a little a little one. You got one of each, so you know that's <laughs> that's, that's nice. Um, I, obviously, the Commanders just hired Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator, yeah. air raid guy. And I think one of the big questions that we have is the marriage of the pass and the run and kind of the protection scheme. When you've seen like successful offense and, and offenses that make offensive linemen's jobs easier and thus uh, better chances of actually being successful, what are the things that you look at from a protection run game and how that marries with the pass game that, that you think are essential? Well, first of all, I'm old school because I played in the 90s, so I'm a huge believer that the run sets up the pass. Or in a in few circumstances, you can kind of pass up the run, like Peyton did that somewhat. But uh, the key is to have good players. I mean, it really is. I don't care what scheme you have. There's no genius scheme that can outfox great players. So, I mean, but it's a combination. you got to have the good coaches. you got to have the good players. you got to have the right scheme. you got to have it all. Um, so... But to answer your question, a good running game and passing game are symbiotic. They play off of each other. You know, you have good play-action runs that will set up the pass and the pass that you line up in pass formations, then you run the draw on them. You know, you, you learn to kind of take what the defense gives you but to try to confuse them. But you got to have players at all positions who can execute. you got to have a good running back. you got to have a good quarterback, good receivers, good linemen. So it, it's kind of like you got to figure out who you have and how can you maximize the players' talents that you have the best? And so that's the challenge of being an offensive coordinator is these are my guys. Okay, what did they do best? How am I going to get this not like run my system, but we're going to morph my system a little bit to work with a talent that we have while we maybe go look for talent that can do the things that I really want to do. Right. But if we don't have that, how can we get the best out of this? I'm not going to force this round peg, and well, square peg into a round hole. You know, I'm not going right. to do that. I'm going to find a way to get something out of them. So when you see, obviously, because, like, anyone who gets drafted in the NFL is supremely talented physically, gifted-wise. Yes. And the coaching is part of what you said, obviously, with the, hey, let's make sure that we're putting guys in the right positions. But it's also the ability to teach. Yes. Like, who are some of the best teachers that you ever work with, and how do they shape your career? Hmm. Most of them are teachers. I felt like that was an original question, Cy. You're going to do a thousand <laughs> interviews today, and I asked something that hadn't been asked. I win. I just won the Super Bowl. I don't think I get a fancy ring, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So you said the question was the question, and then I ruined it, and then I ruined it. No, no, because you're right. The question was about the best teachers yes, that you've teachers, worked with. Teachers, teachers, teachers. Um, I was. I know uh, the best teacher I had was probably my high school coach, and that's probably where I learned the most, because I never had any real. What happens with offensive linemen is you learn bad habits. Uh, you, mm. the young linemen don't bend their knees. They don't put their hands right. And you got to – if you just depend on pure talent and don't learn the technique at a young age, you got a lot of bad habits you have to break. So I was very fortunate to have a, young, um, a man who was my coach in high school who played the position. He taught me good technique. Mm. So that really helped me. So when I got to college, I never had to break any bad habits. Now, they, the coaches in college might have added a few things to it. Right. You know, especially scheme-wise and combination block-wises and short setting and things of that nature. But the right. basics of hand placement, foot width, knee bend, 
all those things that are what you have to have as an offensive lineman really were instilled in me in high school. Yeah. And, the, and in the pros, I, I had some good coaches as well. Um, but it, it's more about, to me, it's more about the schemes that they implement coaching in, 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 in the pros. You know, technique is, they teach technique as well, but it's more about that. Gotcha. Well, I would love to talk to you more. Hopefully we can get something scheduled, uh, not when you're running around doing I a thousand know, interviews. I know, I know, Because uh, I'd love to talk to you more about O-line play, but also about the initiative that you're working yeah. on. I'll uh, reach back out to the people who are, who are uh, parading you around <laughs> here, uh, and we will uh, try to set that up. But, Jonathan, right. appreciate the time. Absolutely. It's Jonathan Ogden, everybody, D.C. native, St. Albans alum, and NFL Hall of Famer with us here on the Hoffman Show. Nora Princiati from The Ringer joins us next.